Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I started out looking at every Prime Minister in Canadian history, and we're right in the middle of every opposition leader who never became Prime Minister, but we took a break from that, because an election was called. So right now I'm doing 36 election episodes in a row, to coincide with our 36 day election period. If you want to support the podcast, you can, for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Wednesday and Saturday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. I do all of these full-time. The writing, the research, everything. I do it every day, all day. And it's a lot of work. So, any dollars you give help keep it all going, and I'll make sure to thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau had been able to win a majority in 1974 after shifting tactics on the campaign trail, which had previously hurt him in 1972, when he won a minority government. With several issues facing Canada, including high gas prices, high unemployment, the poor economy, and more, Trudeau would wait as long as possible to call an election until he reached the five-year limit in 1979. Over the previous five years, Canada had gone through several changes. One of the largest was the move towards the metric system, which was heavily opposed by the Progressive Conservatives. Trudeau had also implemented the Anti-Inflation Act, which introduced wage and price controls after he mocked Progressive Conservative leader Robert Stanfield for suggesting the same thing. The Olympics had been held in Canada for the first time in 1976, but Taiwan was barred from competing under pressure from China, which strained relations with the United States. As well in Quebec, the Parti Québécois was starting to rise, putting fuel into the fire of separatism in Quebec. The country was also going through stagflation, with both inflation and unemployment high. The budget deficit had also risen from $676 million in 1974 to $11.8 billion in 1978. In 1977, the Liberals were actually doing well. The country was not sure about the new leader of the Progressive Conservatives, Joe Clark, and Trudeau and his wife, Margaret, had recently separated, which garnered him some sympathy among a few voters. With the rise of the Parti Québécois and the fear of separation, Trudeau was also seen by some as a leader who could hold Canada together. When 1978 came along, many expected the election to be called, but Trudeau delayed as inflation and unemployment numbers started to climb. In October 1978, 15 by-elections were also called, and the Liberals would suffer the worst by-election defeat since Confederation in the process. In Toronto alone, they lost all four ridings they held. The writing was on the wall. On the Progressives, they were led by a new man, the young and dynamic Joe Clark. Hailing from High River, Alberta, he was a surprise winner of the leadership race in 1976 and was so unknown he was often called Joe Who. The Progressive Conservatives saw him as the one to lead them to victory over Trudeau and the Liberals. With only two months left in his mandate, Trudeau finally called an election. The Progressive Conservatives would run on the slogan of, It's time for a change give the future a chance, and let's get Canada working again. Within his own caucus, several right-wing members were not a fan of Clark and would often oppose him. In one case, Clark's riding was merged with another during a redistribution, 
and the other MP refused to step aside, so Clark had to run in a totally different riding, Yellowhead. In fact, that's my riding, or it was, it's been split up since then. Dalton Camp would say of Clark, quote, When Joe Clark comes into a room, conservatives don't know whether to stand up or send him for coffee, end quote. Stanfield, whom Clark worked for as an aide and speechwriter at one point, would say of Clark's early years, quote, I considered him too highly strong and nervous to be a practicing politician. I thought he would probably return to Alberta eventually. End quote. Other issues prior to the election had many wondering if Clark had any chance of winning. During a tour of the Middle East to help broaden his foreign affairs experience, Clark's luggage was lost and he seemed to be uncomfortable with the issues discussed. It was this that the Liberals latched onto using the slogan of This is no time for on-the-job training and We need tough leadership to keep Canada growing. A leader must be a leader. Trudeau would routinely mock Clark as someone with ideas that were wrong and, in his opinion, silly. One example was a suggestion by Clark that those who smoked or had poor diets should pay higher health insurance premiums. Trudeau would state, quote, How is he going to police it? Is he going to send his fat squad or his smoke squad around to your house to check your ashtray and see 12 butts and say, Oh, oh, your OHIP premiums are going up 5 bucks a month. Or is he going to send some inspector to your door and if he finds you watching television or drinking beer or eating some greasy chips, up another $10 a month? End quote. Trudeau would also use the words of Diefenbaker himself against Clark at one point on the campaign. Diefenbaker had said, quote, Leadership is the most important thing in the country. Government can't be put into the hands of a passing Joe. End quote. Trudeau would say that quote during a rally in North Battleford and add, quote, Now you know Mr. Diefenbaker. He's been my critic, but he does know something about the need for a strong government. When he says that kind of leadership shouldn't be given to a passing Joe, I stand by those words. End quote. Diefenbaker would later deny the quote. The Liberals would put Trudeau at the forefront of their campaign, portraying him as a gunslinger, standing alone, feet apart, and thumbs hooked under his belt with no podium or speaker's text, thinking on his feet. He also made national unity and energy the two main platforms of the campaign, even though both items ranked behind inflation and unemployment among Canadians for the election. In fact, both parties would attempt to portray their leaders in a new light to appeal to voters. Peter Newman would write in April 1979, quote, there is a king of false deployment of forces within the personalities of our two major party leaders, Pierre Trudeau, jaw thrust out, thumbs figuratively or literally hooked on his belt loops, aspires to become a tiger in the spring, while Joe Clark, voice deliberately dropped an octave to signify either wisdom or a bad cold, is doing his best to appear the lion in winter. End quote. During one stretch of the campaign, Clark visited six different provinces in a week, starting each day with a tour of a mine, factory, or shipyard, then holding a press conference to talk about what he had seen, then followed by a speech at the local community organization like a chamber of commerce. At one event at Toronto Cedarbrae Collegiate, a student cracked a raw egg into the outstretched hand of Clark. For Joe Clark, this was a strenuous day of campaigning in Toronto, a city whose 23 seats could hold the key to Clark's hopes of forming a majority government. Peter Mansbridge reports. This was Clark's final blitz of Toronto, the city that could very well decide the winner next Tuesday. The first stop, a shopping centre in Don Mills, a Liberal seat the Tories have been working hard at for the last two years. Then it was into Broadview, a traditionally NDP riding, but one the Tories just lost in the by-elections last fall. 
Clark spent about 40 minutes mainstreeting here. Then it was into the beaches and other traditionally NDP riding and more mainstreeting, or perhaps better phrased, beach strolling. Clark seemed convinced not to let a possible vote get away without some personal contact. Maybe it's because the Tories finished third here last time and faced strong showings from both the NDP and the Liberals. All those events today led to this giant rally tonight in Etobicoke and a chance for Clark to end the feeling that seems to have crept into his campaign this week. That's that the momentum he had so much just a few weeks ago is starting to end. But there was little evidence of any problem like that here, either from the crowd, who seemed convinced they can take this seat from the Liberals, or from Joe Clark, who produced perhaps his best campaign speech so far. The Pierre and Ed show, which had one run on Sunday night, and one run, and one run in 1972 to 1974, when the NDP propped up the Liberals in the House of Commons, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to close that show down permanently on the 22nd of May. Between the attack lines, Clark announced his agenda for change should he win next week. He claimed he and six Tory premiers would almost immediately put a new face on federalism. He'd call for a first minister's conference on the economy and institute his economic proposals in an early budget. Peter Mansbridge, CBC News, Toronto. The Social Credit Party was still around and their leader, Fabian Waugh, was popular in Quebec and had the support of the Parti Québécois. Ed Broadbent was the new leader of the New Democratic Party, having taken over in 1975 in a post that he would hold until 1989, longer than anyone else in the history of the party. The NDP still had problems trying to get coverage at some points, though. In one instance, Broadbent toured a steel mill in Sydney, Nova Scotia, but neither the CBC or CTV used any of the video from the event on the newscast that evening. The NDP would campaign on the issues of inflation, unemployment, energy security through the expansion of Petro-Canada, and tax reform. Two weeks before the election, Clark would have a scare when his campaign plane was flying at 19,000 feet and one of its two engines suddenly failed. A loud bang was heard in the starboard engine and it was forced to land at Toronto rather than continue on to Prince Edward Island. The second time in Canadian history, and for the first time in 11 years, a televised debate would be held. There have been no debates in 1972 or 1974 due to parties not being interested in holding one. This year, the Liberals wanted to debate in the hopes of showing intellectual superiority by Trudeau over Clark, and the Conservatives agreed, knowing that not doing the debate would be worse than being bested in it. Uh, it's not only this changing of position, but it's a willingness to say to the provinces that whatever they're asking for um, is all right. I see, as I indicated earlier, I see no reason why the provinces uh, should be right when they say that we should get out of Petro-Canada or that we should get out of Lotto-Canada, which I repeat serves to, to encourage uh, amateur sports and, uh, and culture. I see no reason why, just because a province says that it wants to have jurisdiction over fisheries, when the Fathers of Confederation said 110 years ago that it was a federal jurisdiction, uh, why suddenly the federal government should realize that uh, it should go to the provinces. And in all these areas, I think Mr. Clark is trying to please a lot of people when he makes, what is it, $7 billion worth of promises, uh, Mr. Leader of the Opposition? Not, not by any realistic no. count, but by yours. Well, by how much, how much is it? Uh, Trotto, we, we one of the rare back. things which the Toronto Star and I are in agreement on, we think it's in the neighborhood of uh, $3 billion. Your Minister of Finance, who... I've always thought had a little difficulty counting, uh, has it much higher than that. 
He has it around $7 billion, but I'd like to know what you're, what you're cutting out uh, if it's only $3 billion. It's already two a tax cut. Then uh, when your mortgage plan is implemented, it's going to be a, your own figures, a, a billion six plus another $700 million to the provinces. The debate was watched by millions of Canadians, but Joe Clark did not fare well, with many labeling him as weak compared to the other leaders. The debate did not deter anyone who was already thinking of voting for him from doing so, though. Ed Broadbent of the NDP did the best of the debate, portraying his party as an alternative to the Liberals. He was an experienced speaker and the debate resulted in the NDP making him the centerpiece of their televised advertising. Of the debate, the Ottawa citizen would write, quote, Joe Clark didn't knock over his glass of water, Pierre Trudeau didn't swear, there were no strings visible behind Ed Broadbent's back leading to Dennis McDermott, the great debate, therefore, could be called a success for all three party leaders. End quote. In a survey several days after the debate, only 7% of viewers thought Joe Clark was effective in the debate, while 26% said the same of Trudeau and 28% of Broadbent. When the Montreal Canadiens won their fourth straight Stanley Cup on May 21, 1979, Trudeau made sure he was in the dressing room with the players. He also attended the game and even caught a puck that went over the boards. And when he was in the dressing room, he was drenched in champagne as the television cameras rolled. By the time the election came around, there had been 602 hours of commercials, 300 or more leadership speeches, and thousands of handshakes, door knocks, and stuffed mailboxes. The election proved to be an incredible surprise to many. Held on May 22, 1979, the Progressive Conservatives picked up 38 seats to finish with 136, just below a majority. The Liberals lost 19 seats to finish with 114, putting Pierre Trudeau in the opposition for the first time ever. The New Democratic Party picked up 9 seats to finish with 26, and the Social Credit Party lost 3 seats to finish with 6. The Conservatives took the majority of seats in every province from British Columbia to Ontario. In Alberta, the party won every single seat, along with 10 of the 14 seats in Saskatchewan. In Quebec, there was nearly no support for Clark and the Progressive Conservatives, where the party won only two seats while the Liberals picked up 67. In the loss, the Liberals would see 13 of their cabinet ministers defeated in the election, and only the ministers in Quebec were safe, it seemed. With his election as Prime Minister, Joe Clark became the youngest Prime Minister in Canadian history at 39, a record that still stands to this day. And we will begin tomorrow the planning and the preparation. To, to give this country a government which will stimulate the economy to generate growth and jobs for Canadians, a government that will strengthen the institutions of democracy in this country so that the people who live in Canada will have a firmer, stronger voice in the direction of the affairs of this country. and also a, a government that will work with our other partners in this confederation to modernize and to remodel the Canadian confederation, to make it suit the 1980s, and to make this a nation where all of the people of this grand country, this great country, will find room to grow, room to find their own dreams, room to build their own lives. We will do that. We'll do that together. With his first election loss, Trudeau was gracious in defeat. He volunteered a government jet star to fly Clark home on the weekend, 
and he invited Clark's wife, Maureen, to tour 24 Sussex Drive when the Clark family arrived in Ottawa. He also called Clark and Jasper to arrange a meeting in the capital. Trudeau would say upon his loss, quote, The real good news is that democracy is still full of vitality in Canada. End quote. One sad aspect of this election was that it would be the last for John Diefenbaker. Since 1940, he had served in the House of Commons and had taken the Progressive Conservatives to their greatest height in 1958 with his majority election win. Diefenbaker had not liked Clark, calling him an upstart and a pipsqueak, and had attacked him constantly to the point that Stanfield told him to stop sticking a knife in Mr. Clark. During his campaign in his last election, he would suffer a mild stroke, and the media was told that he had the flu. In the election, he defeated his NDP opponent by 4,000 votes. In his election win, he would say, quote, I'm more touched by the fact that the friendship shown to me by people here hasn't diminished. End quote. If only Oliver here. She was with me through the years. No one will ever be able to adequately express my debt to her. What more can you say? The chief is back in the government 16 years after he was the last conservative prime minister of Canada. There are a number of arguments against an 83-year-old man running for public office, but the voters in Prince Albert obviously discarded that logic and gave the chief one last chance to sit in Parliament. Stan Hobdebeau, the NDP candidate who ran second to deep in the Prince Albert riding, expressed those feelings well when he visited the PC headquarters to congratulate the winner. Mr. Diefenbaker is a formidable opponent. Uh, I'm sure we're going to hear much from him in the next few years. And I congratulate him on his victory and hope that he will have a good uh, session at Parliament. Thank you very much. But the last word last night had to go to the chief when he thanked his supporters in PA and across the country for their love and support in this, his last election. In all my years, public life, and I saw the mountain peaks, and I saw the valleys of defeat, and you've never either in victory or defeat seen me in a state of of exhilaration or despondency. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. John Davidson, CBC News, Prince Albert. Two months later, after seeing the Progressive Conservatives come to power for the first time since he was Prime Minister from 1957 to 1963, Diefenbaker passed away from a heart attack in his study. Soon after losing, Trudeau would announce that he was stepping down as leader of the Liberals. Then, things began to change. Clark had decided to govern as though he had a majority government without support from the other parties. Due to not meeting any demands made by the Social Credit Party for their support, he had no support from the other parties in Parliament. In late 1979, John Crosby introduced the budget that included an increase on the excise tax on gasoline of four cents per liter to reduce the federal deficit. With neither the Social Credit Party nor the New Democratic Party supporting the Progressive Conservatives on the budget, it turned into a vote that could bring down the government. 
The Conservatives held the vote when one of their MPs was too ill to attend and two others were away on business. The Liberals would bring in as many MPs as they could, including bringing in a few by ambulance who were bedridden. In the end, the Conservatives fell due to a vote of 139 to 133. Many questioned why the opposition parties would bring down the government so soon after the election, or why the Conservatives did not work with the opposition party. Crosby would state later about the confidence vote on the budget, quote, I shared the cabinet's conviction that if the opposition parties were so foolhardy as to bring down our new administration and parliament, the Canadian people would punish them in the polls. End quote. What the Conservatives ignored was that a Gallup series of polls had shown support for the Conservatives had fallen from 36% in the summer to 28% days before the budget bill debate, putting them behind the Liberals. Clark had been Prime Minister for only nine months, and Trudeau, seeing a chance to return to power, decided not to resign and would go into his fifth election as leader of the Liberals. When the government fell, the Liberals were technically leaderless, and even with Trudeau back, the Conservatives believed that the country would reject the Liberals in favour of the Conservatives. Good evening. The Clark government has fallen, and it appears there will be another election in Canada soon. The Conservatives were defeated tonight in a motion of non-confidence on the budget. The NDP and the Liberal Party had both said they'd vote against it. And this morning, the government's defeat became likely when the social credit members decided to abstain. Here with the details is Mark Phillips. The clerk of the commons read out the fateful numbers just over half an hour ago. Yes, poor, 139, 139. Nays, contre, 133, 133. It had been a day of mounting political drama, climaxing with tonight's election hysteria. The NDP motion of non-confidence was supported by the entire caucus of 27 behind Ed Broadbent, and the Liberals, who had faced the dilemma of whether to push the government over the brink in light of Pierre Trudeau's announced intention to step down, turned out 112 of their 113 members. The Conservatives had been saying all day they'd be missing three people. Flora MacDonald is in Europe on NATO business. There's one MP in the hospital and another in New Zealand. Their 133 members account for all the votes supporting the government. The Social Credit Party, true to his promise, abstained. Immediately after the vote, Joe Clark rose to make a brief statement. The uh, government has lost a vote on a matter which we have no alternative but to regard as a question of confidence, and I simply want to advise the House that I will be seeing His Excellency the Governor-General tomorrow morning. Although it hasn't been finally decided, the election date being talked about is February 25th, the last Monday in February. By the time the MPs came out of the Commons and into the lobbies, the partisan rhetoric was well underway going to be revulsion at the avidity for power, at the lust for power displayed by the liberal opposition. Disgusting. When they don't even have a leader themselves, or their leader is retired, uh, he's, he's gone, that they're causing another election. But the people of Canada are going to rise up against this and put an end to these years of liberal arrogance and dominance in this country. Progressive Conservatives campaigned on the slogan of, Real change deserves a fair chance. But as it turned out, the voters were not ready to give another chance only nine months after the previous election. The party would campaign on the same issues and promises it had made only months earlier in the last election, and for the most part, they were unprepared for this election. The Liberals shifted tactics. In the 1979 election, national unity was the main part of their platform, but in this election, they would barely mention it. The Liberals' campaign would be low-key, relying on public anger at the Conservatives to defeat the party. 
the Liberals also made sure they did nothing to dissipate the lead they had in the polls. As well, there would be few appearances of Trudeau, much less than in the previous elections, and the party would promise to guarantee employment and bring in new social policies to improve quality of life for Canadians. When Trudeau did appear, he appeared to be more relaxed on the campaign. In one incident, someone had poked holes in all the styrofoam cups at an event at the University of Saskatchewan in mid-January. Trudeau discovered this as he stood before 500 students, pouring from one cup to another. He would state, quote, and give marks to the student who did this, end quote. An aide nearby said that heads would have rolled for such an incident last spring. A very strange issue with the election was that public servants had to sit in near-tropical temperatures in their offices until after the election, because plans to turn down the thermostats were stalled by the election. The thermostats could not be adjusted without approval from the Treasury Board, which is followed by Cabinet approval. For some of the offices, the temperatures were set as high as 25 degrees. Unlike the previous election, there would be no debate in the 1980 election as Trudeau refused to join a televised debate with other party leaders. Clark would state of the matter, quote, We cannot have a strong democratic system if we have a national leader like Mr. Trudeau who refuses to debate the issues, who refuses to face the other leaders, who refuses to answer the questions of the people of Canada. What is at issue here is democracy. He does not believe in it. We believe in it. End quote. A radio debate was also rejected by the Liberals. Election 80 still has almost six weeks to run, but already the Liberal and Conservative Party strategies seem to be firmly in place. What's unusual is that they've both changed completely since election 79. The latest evidence of that came today in Ottawa. The Liberals are threatening to pull out of the leader's television debate, something the Conservatives thought of doing in the last campaign. We have these reports on the debate and on the change in party strategies. When network and party officials met this morning, Liberal Representative Keith Davies said his party still won't accept the proposed TV debate between Clark Trudeau and Broadbent. The networks are insisting the program used the same format as last year's TV debate that attracted a phenomenal 7 million viewers. The Conservatives and NDP have accepted those conditions, but the Liberals are objecting, particularly to the use again of network journalists on the program. And rather than having the election issues debated by just the leaders, the Liberals are sticking to their demand for a series of debates between party frontbenchers. Their stonewalling brought an angry response today from the Conservatives and NDP. It's very obvious, ladies and gentlemen, that Mr. Trudeau has made a travesty of these meetings. Uh, that gentleman had no intention whatsoever of taking part in any debates. And his instructions were to get him off the rails at any cost, and that's, that's what's happened. Astonishing as it may seem, gentlemen, the Liberal Party seems afraid to present their leader to the Canadian public in a debate. But Senator Davey hinted the Liberals might not bow out of the leader's debate, that today's Liberal rejection of the network proposal may not be final. The uh, network proposal is still on the table, and we are still seeking ways of expanding the format and in opening up the debate process for a wider discussion of issues. Network officials, though, said they aren't prepared to meet Davies' demands, and they've given the Liberals until next Friday to change their mind. The hassle over the issue is an ironic reversal of last year's situation when the Tories objected to the leaders' debate, then decided it would be too politically damaging for Clark not to take part. This time it's the Liberals who don't want the spotlight on Pierre Trudeau. 
But unless they change their mind, Trudeau could well be branded for the rest of this campaign as the leader who chickened out. A few days later, another televised debate was offered, which the Liberals also rejected, demanding no journalists be present. In fact, until January 30th, Trudeau did not agree to do a news conference at all. He only agreed once a petition was signed by nearly every journalist on his campaign jet. The last news conference that Trudeau had done was on December 18th, less than a week after Parliament was dissolved. As the election approached, Gallup polls continued to put the Liberals in the lead, with the Conservatives 17 points behind. Clark would state that the polls were wrong, citing enthusiasm from his own workers on the door-to-door campaign. On the campaign trail, Clark was met with both indifference and sometimes open hostility. In Saskatoon, on February 12th, Clark was about to speak in front of 1,200 farmers when the RCMP ordered the hall cleared after receiving a bomb threat. This was the second time the campaign had been pranked in such a manner in the space of a week. Once everyone came back into the hall, a dozen Liberal supporters started to heckle Clark, and he would state, quote, Your boos are the single most articulate thing that any Liberal spokesman has said in this campaign. End quote. On February 13th, Clark held his 13th open-line radio show, and while there were the usual questions about his policies, many others made fun of the Prime Minister or asked questions about John Diefenbaker. One woman called stating she wanted a facelift, but her doctor wouldn't do it without her husband's consent, and she wanted to know what Clark would do about it. Another person said that the two bomb threats were nothing but gimmicks to drum up publicity by the Conservatives. In the February 18, 1980 election, Trudeau and the Liberals gained 33 seats to finish with 147 and a majority government, while the Progressive Conservatives lost 33 seats and finished with 103. Ed Broadbent and the New Democratic Party gained 5 seats to finish with 32, while the Social Credit Party collapsed, losing all 5 of their seats. Formed in 1935, the Social Credit Party had reached its high of 30 seats in 1962, but from this point on, they would never win another seat. By 1988, they would only field nine candidates and would never be part of another election after that point. In 1993, the party disbanded. While the Progressive Conservatives took the majority of seats from British Columbia to Manitoba, the Liberals only picked up two seats total in the entire region. In Ontario, the Liberals won 52 seats, while in Quebec, they won 74 of 75 seats. In the political arena, of course, it's Pierre Trudeau, who's the gold medalist now, with a brief outline of how the Liberal leader and his party won their victory. Here's Fred Langan. The Liberal victory started to roll in early, as the party made substantial gains in the Atlantic provinces. The NDP lost its one seat in Newfoundland. Secretary of State David MacDonald lost in Prince Edward Island. Liberal Gerald Regan won in Nova Scotia. Indications are that the budget and the prospect of higher energy prices did the Tories in. The architect of those policies, John Crosby, feels the Liberals will now do themselves in. I would say this, that the Liberal Party that wins this election is going to go into a fantastic decline. They're going to be assassinated, abominated, they're going to lose beyond all description in the next election because the son of guns, they're going to have to try to deal with their own past mistakes things that we've been dealing with since June, they're going to have to deal with, and uh, I pity them. In Quebec, the Liberals made almost a clean sweep. Roche LaSalle won the only Tory seat. The Social Credit Party was wiped out. Cabinet Minister Heward Grafty lost his seat. But it was in Ontario that the Liberals won the election, with 55 seats, a gain of 23. 
The NDP did not make its expected gains. It was stable with six Ontario seats. We have picked up a few seats uh, on a national basis. We have lost a few seats so far on a national basis. They're just starting to come in from the West, and we're going to be doing extremely well in the West. There's no question about it. As Broadbent predicted, the NDP went on to make gains in the West, especially in Manitoba and Saskatchewan. In British Columbia, the NDP was also strong, leading the two big parties. In Alberta, it was pure Tory blue. At Clark headquarters in Spruce Grove, Alberta, the Prime Minister put on a brave face. And we, naturally, as believers in democracy, as active participants in democracy, as people who want to maintain that system which has served this country so well, we naturally accept that result and accept the defeat that our party received at the polls tonight. I, I should say, I should take this opportunity to express my congratulations to the Liberal Party for the success of their campaign. To wish them well. Wish them well. No, no. No, no. And to wish them well in, in dealing with the very serious problems and the very great potential of an immense and a very fortunate country. But at Trudeau headquarters in Ottawa, it was the shrill scream of victory. In Canada, too, this decade will be full of problems and equally full of opportunities. We must remind ourselves today, on the eve of this, on the night of this general election, that Canada has been, Canada is, and Canada will remain more than the sum of its parts. Tonight, the question is, will Joe Clark's leadership of the Conservative Party be able to survive this election defeat? And how will Pierre Trudeau deal with the energy and financial problems that brought down the Conservatives? Fred Langan, CBC News. Clark would state upon his loss, quote, I accept the decision of the electors of Canada tonight, end quote. Trudeau would begin his speech with the now famous remark, quote, Welcome to the 1980s, end quote. This would be the end of Clark as leader of the Progressive Conservatives, at least for now. In 1983, he would be ousted by Brian Mulroney in a leadership contest one year before the Progressive Conservatives would face off against the Liberals once again in an election. Clark would remain as a cabinet minister becoming the Minister of Foreign Affairs before retiring in 1993. In 1998, he would be brought out of retirement to lead the shattered Progressive Conservatives, helping the party rebuild before the merger with the Canadian Alliance and the Reform Party in 2003. As for Trudeau, this would be his last election win. He would retire from politics in 1984, beginning a quiet retirement that would last until his death from prostate cancer in 2000. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at the 1979 and 1980 election. Tomorrow, I'll be looking at the 1984 election. And I'm doing these every single day, 36 days straight during the election campaign. And it's a lot of work. So if you want to support the podcast, please do. Or if you just want to mention it on social media, I would greatly appreciate it. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Again, if you like, you can support the podcast through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. 
And I'd like to say thank you to all of my wonderful patrons. And if I mispronounce any names, I do apologize. Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke Guess, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Biography, Dynasties and Interludes, Wikipedia, Maclean's, Ottawa Citizen, Ottawa Journal, and Vancouver Sun. Thanks. We'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.